Uh, but it feels like just like a good old gospel tune, uh, you know, organ playing, choir singing, kind of, kind of hymn. Um, but you can get some beautiful harmonies in it as well. I think maybe yeah. that's why it feels gospelly. Is sometimes yeah. the harmonies have that kind of feel. Welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka. And today we are discussing the popular hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We will be talking about the Chautauqua movement and the passages of scripture behind this heavenly vision. But first, we have a favor to ask. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, would you do us a huge favor and consider leaving a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts? That really helps us grow our exposure to folks just like you who, you know, maybe have never heard of our show but would be eager to listen. Also consider signing up for our free weekly newsletter or supporting this podcast financially on Ko-fi. Links for the newsletter and our Ko-fi page can be found at himpartial.com. So head over to himpartial.com and consider supporting this podcast today. We are going to be diving back into talking about some hymns for a few weeks. We've had a few guests on the last few weeks, some wonderful guests, um, and we've loved having them on. I'm always surprised when someone is on our show because I'm like, who are we? (laughs) Um, And they're always just so knowledgeable and have been writing hymns or playing music or in the industry of, I hate to say industry because it sounds so sterile, but, you know, have been in Christian music for a long time, um, in church music specifically. So it's really nice to kind of go back to our bread and butter and talk about some hymns. And today's hymn is, um, yeah, really, a really special hymn. I think loads of people, um, love this hymn, um, but before we dig in, Cara, what is your background with this particular hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? I don't really remember the first time I heard it, um, but I think it was quite late. I think it was, I was maybe 18 or 19, um, and I had friends who liked to play music together, and this was mm-hmm. one of the ones. This one and Leaning on the Everlasting Arms were two of their favorites yeah Yeah. so I think that was probably my first exposure to it I do really like it it's in our supplementary hymn book at church and we actually sang it last week oh (laughs) yeah it's a really nice one it is really good you know I could count on maybe a few fingers how many times I've sung this in church I feel like it's one of those things that you well I particularly associate with gospel music um and I'm not even sure why maybe our listeners out there can can relate to it uh but it feels like just like a good old gospel tune uh you know organ playing choir singing kind of kind of hymn um but you can get some beautiful harmonies in it as well I think maybe yes. that's why it feels gospelly is sometimes yeah. the harmonies have that kind of feel yeah yeah it's it it does have some great harmonies as well um but I guess if we dig into the hymn just a little bit, it's it's interesting because this hymn was written by a British-born woman. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so British-born woman from the 19th century called Helen Howarth Limmel. I'm positive I'm saying all of those names wrong. Maybe Helen is correct. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, she was quite the traveler for her day. She was born in Wardle, England. Have you heard of that place, Wardle? No, it, it sounds, sounds like made a, up, but a lot of places it sounds in England like the, do. Yeah, it sounds like the country way to say like water or something. Like if you're from the South, like, oh, can I have a glass of water? <laughs> I'm going to get slapped for that by some of my friends in the South. Um, yeah, so she was born in Wardle, England, but she migrated to the U.S. when she was 12. Um, and her dad was a Methodist minister. And their family lived all over the U.S. They, they kind of started in Mississippi, then they went on to Wisconsin, and eventually Helen ended up in Seattle. So they kind of were just making their way west. Um, she was a music critic for the publication Seattle Post-Intelligencer. And one of the musicians she interviewed for that publication convinced her to go to Europe. They were like a German uh, musician. So she did. She moved to Germany, where she lived and studied for four years. Um, and when Helen returned to, this, to the U.S. after her stint in Germany, she began performing concerts along the Chautauqua circuit. So have you heard of this Chautauqua before? No, I couldn't even spell it if you asked me. <laughs> I mean, I could barely say it, and it's right in front of me. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, I, I had no idea what this was. So, for any of our listeners who are ignorant like me, let me take you on a short journey. So, the Chautauqua movement started in the 19th century as like a Sunday school training camp for lay Sunday school teachers. Um, the camp was located off of... Lake Chautauqua, um, and right. it was formed by the Methodist preacher John Vincent and a businessman called Lewis Miller. Um, as this training program grew in popularity, it became known as the Chautauqua Institute, and from here, other Chautauqua assemblies uh, using the summer camp format began to spring up all over the U.S. And they were striving to have like, like kind of competing with one another to have like the best performers and the best lecturers and <laughs> all of this stuff. So this also eventually manifested itself into kind of like a pop-up tent program called okay. Chautauqua Circuits. And that essentially, they were basically just taking the show on the road, right? And uh, they would set up in a certain location for like 10 days have performances and lectures and preachers and perform, and then they would fold up their tent and move to the next place. So is that kind of similar to some of the stuff that we talked about, you know, some of the revivalism stuff where they'd kind of like um, hire halls or have tents and they'd be there for a certain amount of time and they'd like preach and hold events and then they'd move on? Yes and no. So it obviously had its roots in Christianity and had, uh, you know, was formed from like a Methodist preacher and obviously they had preachers come through. But the way I understand it, either this is how it was or this is how it evolved, but it became more of like a creative artistic performance where okay. folks would perform with the intent of teaching. So that's why I say they had performers like, you know, they might right. have like musicians come through and play music. They might have 
uh, like actors come through and act out like certain historical scenes. It was kind of like a educational slash spiritual slash musical event almost. It was like, you know, I think similar to like when revivals would go through different cities in the States, it was kind of like, well, what else are you going to do? Oh, there's a famous preacher coming. So people would come through to hear the famous preacher in their town when they were there. I think it was like that, but like more artistic. So it's kind of semi-religious, but not really. Yeah, I guess it's, uh, the way I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong. If someone out there listening is like, I'm a Chautauqua expert, slide into our DMs and we will have you come on and talk to us about this. But from my total ignorance, what I gleaned from it was that it was kind of revival light, more educational, but there was a lot of arts involved in it. And um, okay. and so it became kind of like an event, you know, to, to see. So by the mid-1920s, when uh, Circuit Chautauquas were at their peak, they appeared in over 10,000 communities to audiences of more than 45 million. Wow. Um, yeah. And in about... It's 19- crazy we've not heard of that then, if it's that I big. Know. I know, but it said, uh, what I looked up said that in about 1940, they had run their course. So they spent about two decades just like, you know, being a thing. And then they just, they were done. Um, And I think like in the 1970s, like some folks tried to like revive it. And to what level of success, I don't know. Um, But yeah, just interesting, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's just odd that it seems to be like quite a big thing and never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard of it. And just like the way it was referred to in our hymn writer's life, just like, oh yeah, they used to perform on the Chautauqua circuit. It's like, what? The The woody woody? So yeah, very interesting. I'm sure some of our listeners will want to go down that rabbit hole and I I would follow you. (laughs) So that's where Helen found herself after her travels from Europe. Eventually, Helen would join the legends at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, where she became a vocal music teacher. So after her retirement, Helen returned to Seattle, where she served as a member of the Ballard Baptist Church. During her life, Helen penned over 500 hymns, but none were so popular as today's hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So quite the life for this little lady. Yeah, she got around for sure. She got around. She was highly accomplished, you know, wonderful musician. I found it interesting that her Chautauqua and Moody experiences kind of like she kind of had her hands in a few kind of movements a little bit because hmm. obviously Moody, Moody Bible Institute had their kind of revivalist movement as well. Um, but she was, she was back in the training grounds teaching music there. So the history of this particular hymn is brief, but very encouraging. Helen was basically reading a tract written by a British missionary called Isabella Lilius Trotter. Hmm. Um, and this, ti- this tract titled Focused inspired Helen to pen the lyrics of this hymn. 
Um, and I'll read a short excerpt here, though the whole tract will only take you a few minutes. Um, but but in, in this tract, she speaks about focusing our thoughts. Um, and an excerpt here says, Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him, and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him, and the divine attrait by which God's saints are made, even in this 20th century, will lay hold of you, for he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that is, in the heart that he has died to win. Excuse me. So, some poetic way of speaking there, of, of which I got a little um, tongue-tied with. But in our bonus clip today, we will actually read and discuss this full tract. So newsletter subscribers are going to get a real treat uh, because we have some interesting thoughts about this full tract. Um, but you'll have to go subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss this the first go-around next time we have a new episode. Um, so this inspired Helen to write today's hymn. The original mm -hmm. title being, the original title of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus was The Heavenly Vision, um, okay. which you could kind of glean from this tract is kind of coming out, coming out of the words that, that this tract writer wrote. Mm -hmm. um, the Heavenly Vision was originally published in a pamphlet in 1918. And then again in 1922 in a collection called Glad Songs. So fun fact about today's song. Um, it has been republished many times, especially with modern artists. Um, but it's not the whole song that's been republished. In fact, a lot of modern artists will just use the refrain. Um, so some artists that have used this hymn in whole or in part are the Newsboys. They use the refrain in their song, Where You Belong. Do you know that song? I still, I know the Newsboys. I can't believe yeah. they're still going. I don't know if they are, to be honest. I wasn't necessarily a fan of theirs growing up. No, so I wasn't I a fan, know. but I knew about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I know yeah. of them very vaguely. Um, our good friends Hillsong, they recorded this hymn on their album, The Secret mm. Place. JK, they're not our good friends. Um, they don't know that we <laughs> exist. Uh, other acts included Michael W. Smith, Alan Jackson, Lauren Daigle, the Christian group Passion, and the collective Sovereign Grace. Hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of contemporary artists have picked up this hymn, um, like I said, in part or in whole, and... Uh, there's good reason for it. So without me waffling on and on, Kara, if you could read the lyrics to us now. Yeah, I was thinking as you spoke that um, I've heard a few of those versions over time. Yeah. So the lyrics are, Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light there's light for a look at the Saviour and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. 
Over us, sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Brief and beautiful. <laughs> Amen. I was thinking that just as I was reading. I was like, hmm, these are really it good It doesn't words. have to be long. You just, yeah. No. Good words. To She's, the point. She, exactly. Exactly. So there are a few things, uh, themes in here that we see from scripture. Verse one has this theme of light and darkness that we find in a few places in the Bible, obviously. At our church, currently, we're going through the gospel according to John. So John 1 came to mind. Uh, Cara, do you mind reading John 1, 4 to 5? Of course. John 1, 4 to 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Another reference for our first verse is Psalm 27, 1, uh, that reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So, yeah, great, great themes in here. Obviously, uh, she talks about, you know, why are you weary and troubled? You know, you don't see the light in the darkness. There's light look, the Savior, you know, it's like, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus and then you have that refrain, which is such a great, I love a good refrain. And that's, I think this is why yeah. this has been picked up and used. Maybe, maybe you have a strong opinion on that, but why the refrain's been snatched out of this hymn and put into other songs. It's yes, the melody is nice for the refrain, but it's also a great, um, it serves as a great uh, division between the verses to say, yeah. okay, this is where you are. Now turn towards Jesus. You know, like yeah. this is what's going on, but turn towards Jesus and see all these different aspects of, um, you know, his glory and grace, you know, so really good first verse. Any, any thoughts on that, Cara? Yeah. I love the, um, the kind of contrast between the verses and the chorus where it's like, like you say, the verses are quite honest about the reality of hardship and things. So you've got, um, you've got weir weariness and uh, trouble and darkness in the first verse. You've got death in the second verse and sin. And then in the third verse, you've got a world that is dying. And mm -hmm. yet every time it says, yeah, these things are real, but... Do you know what? Just turn your eyes on Jesus. Turn around, yeah. And it's, it's such a good re reminder to just keep focusing on Christ despite everything that's going on around us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you totally you totally hit the nail on the head uh, with, with that analysis. Um, ver verses two and three of this hymn pick, uh, pick up themes from Romans 8. Mm -hmm. You know, how we're conquerors, the security we have in Christ, how he'll never fail us. 
Um, so, Kara, are you able to read verses 37 to 39 of Romans chapter 8? Yep. These are great verses. So Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. Yeah. I mean, such an encouragement. That, yeah, it's such an encouragement. And 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 there's such a comfort in her verses, you know, she's saying over us sin no more hath dominion. Like you know, and his word shall not fail you. He promised, believe him mm-hmm. and all will be well. Um his perfect salvation to tell. It's just, it's just so many. I mean, like it's one of those, um, pass. It's one of those songs that as short as it is, you could really have 10 verses to talk about all the themes that she's hitting on. Yeah. But it is good to just kind of go ahead. I was just gonna say, I feel like I read hymns like this and I'm like, they're so short, but they're so packed full of goodness. And Mm -hmm. I am in awe of people who can use so few words to, convey such depth and richness yeah Yeah. I think that's a result of someone who's kind of like drenched in scripture right and drenched in good teaching because they just like you you give them a squeeze and like all of this goodness comes out out. (laughs) yeah (laughs) I hope that's not a weird image but you know what I'm saying like it's just they're just sponges and like you just go poke, and then it's like theology. Doctrine. Have you seen? Um, it was a comment on someone, and maybe John Bunyan, and it's like if a mosquito bit him, he'd come away singing, "There's power in the blood." <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you just have internalized so much of scripture that you can't help it coming out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is definitely, definitely this hymn. Um, which is why it's probably stood the test of time. Yeah. So lastly, the refrain kind of pulls its imagery from places like 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Cara, do you mind reading that verse for us? I'm always happy to read scripture. So 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. A to the men. A to the men. And I, I like, like we were saying earlier, that's why that refrain is so powerful because, mm. you know, you're struggling to see the light in the darkness. You are um, dealing with sin. You know, you're dealing with the fight of sin and you are understanding the hard task of the gospel, like sharing the gospel and like trying to get, you know, trying to tell people of the Lord's word and just turn your eyes upon Jesus and, and look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his yeah. glory and grace. It, it's, I love, it's, sorry. I was just going to say, it's just so empowering 
and I, I hate using that word because mm. it's so abused and 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 but I mean literally because like the power of the Holy Spirit is yeah. in you as a believer. It is like emboldening, maybe that's a better word. It's emboldening for you to sing a hymn like this and be reminded that your strength and your power and your ability to walk day by day in this life is actually a result of you looking on on the Savior. He is the one who is providing you the comfort and the strength and the mercy to do these things. It's not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and being all, you know, I'm the best Christian there is. Like, no, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. Sit down. I really like that um, that third verse kind of turns outward as well so mm-hmm. it's it is kind of an introspective hymn it's like oh I'm struggling but turn my eyes upon Jesus but then in the third verse you've got you've had all this encouragement and then it says so go to a world that's dying mm-hmm. and tell of his like salvation yeah. and I think that's a wonderful thing it's easy to say you know oh it's hard for me and I've got to turn my eyes upon Jesus but part of that is saying look at this wonderful grace that he's given me I can't mm-hmm. keep it to myself and now I have to go out and I have to tell the rest of the world that they also need to turn their eyes upon Jesus amen amen and it's something we will discuss a little bit more during our bonus question Um, in response to this being a tract from a missionary, um, in this hymn being a response from a tract from a missionary. So yeah, lots to discuss. Yeah. And if you haven't signed up for the uh, newsletter already, then you've already missed it and you've got to wait with all the common folk for it to come out in public. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, But yeah, if you want to be first to access our bonus content, you do need to sign up to our email newsletter. You can do that at hymnpartial.com. But this has been really encouraging. I love this hymn and it's so good to hear the history behind it and a little bit about the lady who wrote it. So thank you so much for sharing, Monet. And uh, until next week, we'll see you guys later. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye.